This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Frank Gore Jr., Southern Miss Golden Eagles, and you listen to Fun Belt Podcast. 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 It's just a, a great conference that is at a, at a point right now where they're, I think, clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of fun, Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we've got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. Three, two, one. Welcome to Fun Belt Podcast. Season three, I forget what episode this is. It doesn't really matter. I'll figure it out later. I am Jeremy Harper with HowRazor.com. With me is Dusty Thibodeau from the Warhawk Report and Shane Metlin from the Daily News Record. Gentlemen, welcome back to another great podcast. I'm glad you're here. You're my favorite people. What's up, dogs? Jeremy, we I'm forgot to, to uh, or, or we did on the Twitter when we got together in Little Rock, but we forgot to send that picture to Shane directly just so that he could miss I us. I feel bad. Yeah. Oh, Shane, I, was not, yeah. I was not having as much fun as you guys. We took an epic photo at a nearly empty bar in North Little Rock. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah. You know, the only thing missing, you know, we had the beer, we had the bar grub. We had the ambiance, but we didn't have you, Shane Metlin. We really needed you, man. Yeah, well, we'll we'll make that happen at some point, somewhere. <laughs> Shane, we did. We, we we definitely did talk about you, though. So so you were there in spirit. Okay. And those were some amazing cheese curds, by the way. They they weren't bad. They weren't bad. All right. Well, you know what? There's probably some things going on in the Sun Belt that we should talk about, and. Uh, Shane, from what I understand, ULM's getting a new AD. Have you heard this news? <clears throat> I've heard this news. I heard hints of this news before it even happened. Yeah, you know what? It, I think was. you might have heard it too. Yeah, well, but... I mean, you could smell it in the ether a little bit. Yeah. And and now it's come true. Dusty, do you have any scoop on this? Can you, do you have any confirmation on this? Do you have any inside analysis on this? Most definitely. It's it's going to be <laughs> the former Utah State Athletic Director, John Hartwell, by way of Troy University. He was there from 2012 to 2015. While he was a guy that really got Troy put back on the map after they kind of slid there in the latter Larry Blakeney years. Uh-huh. He was also the one that hired Chip Lindsey, which I think most Troy fans would uh, cringe about. But we won't hold that against him as he comes to ULM looking to rebuild the athletic program for the Warhawks and put them back on the map. I like the guy. I think that he has the right vision. I think he has the right drive. And and as a guy that can uh, lead ULM to their second postseason appearance. (laughs) Yes. Well, congratulations. I know. 
I know what it's like not to have an athletic director in place and, and to just feel like there's so much uncertainty with your program. What's going to be the uh, vision of the future? What directions are you going to take? And do you anticipate him making any immediate moves? I think he will. I mean, I, I think that there's uh... – so right now, ULM has a soccer position open as well as volleyball, uh, technically three with that volleyball position being indoor and the beach volleyball. So he's, he's got some work to do. Obviously, budgeting is uh, coming up as they are on physical year, so kind of winding down that and getting ready for next season. And then just making sure that everything's lined out and ready to go as we approach the summer months and kick off the 2023 season. Well, I'm very excited for the Warhawks. But you know what? One thing he shouldn't tinker with, and I, I think Shane would agree, probably shouldn't t- tinker with that basketball program. <laughs> How about that double overtime win at Marshall? <laughs> and, 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 and I know Shane wants to focus on that James Madison game, and, and, and that's fine. We'll, we'll take that L. But you, you could tell our guys were just not fresh, not ready to roll. They were tired from having beat the better team in Marshall. Oh, 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 you don't have to take this. Oh, my God. Are you going to take this from a Warhawk? They had to be (laughs) tired because I, you know, it's I've made that drive from Huntington (laughs) to Harrisonburg before. It's it's not an easy drive. You go through the mountains, you go through the wilds of West Virginia forests all kinds of stuff and you know who knows when they actually got into town after a double overtime game and then made the four-hour drive i think it's about four hours to harrisonburg it was snowing the next day in harrisonburg yeah that's that's a perfect example of the tough travel teams have to deal with in this conference and yeah they you know maybe didn't quite have their legs towards the end of that game you know jamie went on a late run they led most of the way, but it was a late run that kind of put it away. Um, that's a good Warhawks team. I seen them in person. You know, they're not deep, but their top six or seven guys can play. And yeah, I, I don't know exactly what was going on early in the season, but they're they're legit. I've been saying, been waiting for them to come down, but I think they're I think they're legit contenders. Well, speaking of. I think they were also playing over their head because they had one of the greats of ULM basketball, Nick Coppola, in attendance at James Madison. He's up there in the Virginia area now. There was a picture of on Twitter of him and head coach Keith Richard hanging out pre-post game whenever. If if only he could have suited up, Jeremy. If only he could have suited up. <laughs> uh, then all your dreams would have finally come true. But you know what? It's also speaking of 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 uh. I don't know, championship basketball. It looks like JMU, it looks like the Dukes maybe kind of shaking off whatever plagued them in the middle part of the year, coming up with some wins. I think to some degree. I mean, we'll see how they do going on the road for a couple here this week. But I think to some degree, yeah, they're playing kind of what we expected. What they've done in their last two wins defensively on the perimeter they take some two guys who were just absolutely red hot coming in in uh josh uduje i think is how you pronounce it from coastal <laughs> was you know 
he was scoring 25 a game for the past few coming in, had two when he came to JMU. They really shut him down. Blackman from ULM had just come off a 35-point game at Marshall, and I think double figures, like eight of the past nine. And he came in and struggled a little bit. So that was kind of their defensive identity for a lot of the season, a lot, really since Mark Byington's got here. And it seemed to kind of go away for a little bit. But if they're bringing that back, that kind of pressure on the perimeter, then, yeah, I think they have a chance to kind of turn it around and be in the mix by the time Pensacola gets here. But, you know, Shane, that's fine. I'm glad you guys uh, – I'm glad the Dukes have figured it out. I'm glad that ULM, Tibbs, is having a, a great season uh, on the hard court. But right now, the, the top two teams, both 6-2, and two, are Southern Miss and Louisiana. Louisiana seems like a team that's really getting on ahead of steam. It seems like Southern Miss is kind of maybe just kind of hanging in there, but it does seem to me that Louisiana is really chugging through. Are you guys getting that same sense? Without a doubt. I mean, I mean that was what uh, Bob Marlin's four billionth career win or something like that that they had here <laughs> recently, largest yeah. comeback win of his era. I like the Cajuns. I mean, I, I really do for the regular season. I, I think that they have what it takes down the stretch to to get those wins. Kind of surprised though, it really hasn't been Jordan Brown being the guy that's leading the Cajuns. Oh, yeah? Well, who's taking the conch? Greg Williams has been really good. I mean, Jordan Brown's yeah. still, I think, their leading scorer. But, yeah, Greg Williams has been really good of recent. recent. You know, the Lafayette kid making good when he comes home. Oh, by the way, I said they were six and two. They're eight and two. I'm not wearing my glasses. So you just have to you have to forgive me on that. Yeah. But you know, even though I said that Southern Miss feels like they're kind of clinging a little bit, I it's still too late in the season to say they're a fluke, right? These guys are legit. No, and yeah, Louisiana too, they're on this eight-game winning streak, but they got and and they did beat Southern Miss in Lafayette, but They've got tough games coming up. They've got to go to Hattiesburg. They've got to play Marshall. They've got to go to Harrisonburg and play JMU. It, it's definitely not – they definitely haven't clinched anything at this point, you know, being tied with Southern Miss. And, you know, that game in Hattiesburg is just going to be absolutely huge, probably absolutely nuts inside Reed Green, which I'm learning is a pretty intense environment. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one here in a couple weeks. All right, taking out James Madison, taking out ULM Tibbs, I'm going to name three teams, and you guys tell me which one of these guys are legit. Troy, Appalachian State, Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. You th- Georgia, of all those teams, it's Georgia Southern that's the legit team. I think so, yeah. All right, Shane, what you think? I mean, if I was the kind of guy that – cop out on something i might say that they're all equally legit right now but i won't do that i'm gonna go with troy uh, you know just a hair above the other two um you know i'm I'm more and more impressed with appalachian state as time goes on that they're you know where they are um sort of similar to ulm that they've got a good starting lineup not maybe quite the same depth as some of these teams but they're making do and uh, like ULM are really well coached and like, it's hard for me to say one of them is more legit than the others, but I do think Troy's got a lot of athleticism. They've got, you know, a home court advantage when they play there. I, 
I think Troy is probably going to finish on top among those three, but nothing would shock me. Uh, Troy's got Scott Cross, too. He's a really good coach. Why do you say Georgia Southern, Tibbs? What, what, what's it about Georgia Southern that you, you saw him like, yeah, those guys are legit? Two players. Okay. Caden Archie. All right. And Andre Savrasov. <laughs> I think it's how you say it. We'll give you a pass on that. Averaging about 14 points a game and then about seven rebounds. The guy's right on the cusp of, of having double doubles. And then Caden Archie averaging about 12 points a game. They can score. They they are literally going out and beating opponents down, which is completely different from what we saw out of the previous Georgia Southern, where it was a defensive struggle, almost like App State, but a little bit more tame than that. Mm, okay. Well, that, you know what? You, you have made your case for Georgia Southern, and I'm impressed. Uh, uh, Shane made his case for Troy, and it was well-researched and well-thought-out. And I, I, I think what's funny, though, is I think all three of us will have picked somebody different. I will pick the, uh, the Mountaineers, maybe simply because they're the last team that's completely throttled Arkansas State. But I tell you what, Mountaineers just have a home court advantage that uh, it just seems almost impossible to overcome. Yeah, because you can't them. breathe when you're there. <laughs> I know. Yeah, all uh, – uh, Shane was talking about how hard it is to get to uh, Marshall, but man, to get to Appalachian State, God, that's just as bad. So, uh, yeah, but I don't know. They've got, they've, they've got a pretty tough team. I don't know if they've got the kind of team that makes it through the Sunbelt uh, tournament, but I guess we'll just have to see. Guys, is there any other news floating around that we need to discuss? We have the return of Jay Hobson into the Funbelt Conference. That happened today, right? Yeah, the the former Southern Miss head coach is now headed to be on Kane Womack's staff as the secondary coach for the Jaguars. Yeah, welcome back to the Sun Belt. You know, so you know, once a belter, always a belter. That that, that's what I have to say about that. You know, I I I welcome him back to the fold. Uh, At Arkansas State, we had something called the State of the Pack where we all got together and we talked a little bit about the future of Arkansas state. And it was kind of cool. It was people like uh, the athletic director was there. The chancellor was there and a couple of the head coaches was there and also Sunbelt legend uh, and a state legend, the Mario Davis, who now is an all pro linebacker at uh, new Orleans. He was there to announce that there was a new NIL collective that he was uh involved in running and that was very exciting so uh interesting things happening at arkansas state perhaps to catch up with the jmus and warhawks of the world it's not easy being cheesy so dusty you know that from time to time even though you and i and shane were such experts at the sunbelt and with the group of five every now and then we have to bring in somebody who really knows, really understands, really has his hand on the pulse of Group of Five football. He's back with us for a third time. I can't believe he's here. I want to thank him for coming. Chris Vanini of The Athletic, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I am good. Good to be back here. Good to be in the off season. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. You yeah, know, I, you know- I, I, I love having Chris Vanini on 
but every time I see him, I get jealous of the beard. I, I, I can't <laughs> deny it. I get jealous of the beard. Yeah, I, 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 I did trim it up today. It had gotten a bit uh, uncouth. Tibbs, are you one of these guys that, despite your advanced age, you, you still can't grow a proper beard? That is correct. I found that out during COVID when shaving was very optional. Uh, I think I went a month and a half, two months, and I basically looked like I hadn't shaven in about a week. <laughs> well, I, I can't speak for Chris, but I could grow a thick, luscious beard in about, I don't know, maybe maybe four days. That's all it takes for me. So uh, I, I, don't under, I never understand you guys with your patchy beards and your inability to grow hair. Uh, it just it just seems out of whack for me. It seems like it should be something every grown man should be able to do. But speaking when, of grown yeah. grown men, Chris, you just got to put together a pretty cool article about uh, Western Kentucky and how they handled their uh, their NI or their 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 sort of was uh, a transfer portal seeking uh, quarterback. Uh, Austin Hooper, right? Do I throw the name right? Austin Reed. Austin Reed. Where did I come up with Hooper? Oh, wait, that's the tight end for the... Uh, <laughs> that's, that's somebody else. Yes, Austin Reed. Anyway, he has, he tested the waters and came back to Western Kentucky. Why did he come back to Western Kentucky? Yeah, so this was interesting because, I, you know, the transfer portal opens up and then in mid- early December, uh, Reed goes in and he at the time was the second leading passer in the country had a huge year one year after Bailey Zappi did the same thing there. And then a week after that, he withdraws and announces that he's staying. And I was like, well, that's interesting. What's up with that? And so I I talked with him and some other people over the past month uh, and Western Kentucky had a few people stay. They had their top receiver stick around there. Uh, one of their best defensive players also went in the portal, came out and stayed. Uh, now they did lose some, some guys They had five guys go to the power five schools, but uh, you don't see situations like that happen often at places like Western Kentucky. So I talked to people around, I was like, Hey, what's, what's the deal here? And I just found a really interesting approach to the transfer portal with Western Kentucky, which I think is, can be a model for the whole group of five. And it starts with number one, have a place that people don't want to leave. Uh, that that is that is difficult to leave. Again, Austin Reed by the end of the year after the bowl game led the nation in passing yards. Like he did a pretty good job at Western Kentucky. There's a reason you would want to stay there. Uh, number two, find some way to do some sort of nil work with the players. It doesn't have to be the most amount of money. You're not going to win bidding wars. But do something. You got to show some sort of way that these players can be appreciated uh, on these campuses in these group of five programs. And uh, yeah, and you know, Tyson Helton, the head coach, very open and honest with guys. And he's like, hey, I'll, I'll let you know what places I think are good or, or not good. And just everything's very open. It's a give and take. Western Kentucky took the whole Houston Baptist offense the previous year. Bailey Zappi and all those guys. So he understands it. He gets it. Hey, I'm going to lose guys, but I'm going to take guys too. So let's just be honest about the whole thing. I just found the whole thing very refreshing. Well, one of the reasons why I brought it up, Chris, is uh, I, I do know that my alma mater, Arkansas State, has had a really hard time getting their stuff together, getting their their their, their ducks in a row when it comes to putting together an NIL program. In fact, uh, they're, they're just now finally kind of pulling 
pulling stuff together and getting it going. Do you find that the group of five is doing a pretty, I don't know, maybe a bad job at keeping up with this sort of uh, this new trend, this new this new way of life in college football? Every place is different, but I think it's not a coincidence that a handful of places that are doing a, a good job are the same places that are holding on to players or getting mm-hmm. really good players or getting players. That includes Tulane, which has, has uh, the Fear of the Wave Collective. Uh, it, it's done a solid <laughs> job of trying to get some deals for some players. And Michael Pratt, the quarterback, another guy who had Power 5 interests, announced on their podcast that he was going to stay at Tulane another year. You had uh, Frank Harris at UTSA announced he was going to come back for another year at UTSA while announcing a new UTSA collective and SMU. Uh, they have a lot of money that, and, and as a result, <laughs> they've got, they've got the uh, number one uh, transfer group of five transfer class coming in. So you, it can be done. It's a lot harder. There's less money involved, but Having some sort of organization, having something you can provide to players uh, goes a long way. It doesn't always have to be a bidding war. That's the biggest mm-hmm. thing I learned from this. Yeah, there are some kids who will go for the most money for sure, but not everybody's like that. People, if they're at a good spot, you got to get you want to give them a reason to stay. Well, in your in your article, Austin Reed had said, yeah, he kind of made it sound like, well, he just wanted to tip uh, dip a toe see what kind of offers were coming in. And he got a few offers, decided to stay at, at, at Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky really can't be a place, as far as I know, that can just build a huge uh, uh, NIL uh, collective. You, you had said earlier, there's also something about just building a program no one wants to leave. What's harder, building the collective or building a program that no one wants to leave? Probably building the program. I think winning is <laughs> winning is difficult, and winning uh, consistently is even harder. That's why coaches get fired all the time. So I, it's definitely harder <laughs> to do that. And it is a credit to Tyson Helton, who has reshaped that program several times in like four years that he's been there. I think um, he he won nine games. I think maybe his first year. Then he had a kind of a not so good year. Then he has Bailey Zappi and everything. Uh, they lose him. They lose the offense coordinator, bring in a new QB, new offense coordinator, have another really good year. Now they got to find another offense coordinator again. So it's, it's a credit to the job that Tyson Helton has done there. And I mean, the Western Kentucky collective, it's, it's a local realtor and it's a local attorney. Those are, they're, <laughs> just, they're the ones who put it together. They talk to the people at Tennessee. They talk to other places to figure out kind of how to put it together, but it's just some, some guys in town that have some money that really like WKU and they they put the work in to put it together and and got a couple deals for for some of these guys. Again, it's not it's not the big it's very much not the biggest thing in the world, but you know it's the thought that counts. Who doesn't love Big Red though? But do do you feel that we've kind of seen coaches and administrators starting to push back on the NIL deal? Where recently even Bama, you know, Saban talked about a guy <clears throat> that was a defensive back wanting $800,000 to be able to sign with Alabama. He had another player that left wanting half a million dollars and his girlfriend a guaranteed spot in law school. I mean, are we getting to a point where the the, the coaches and administrators are even kind of saying enough's enough? I'm really sick of hearing from coaches on this issue, especially someone like Nick Saban who makes $10 million dollars. Um, look, if that kid can get, if that kid wants $800,000 and he can get it somewhere, 
then good for him, man. Like, and given the money that is going out to these players, the $13 million deal that the Florida recruit, uh, Jaden Rashada signed, and then the Florida people had to pull back on and basically cancel it. I don't blame these kids for asking uh, certain places that they want money. A place like Alabama, they probably don't need to win the bidding wars, so to speak, because they can say, look, we get 10 guys drafted in the NFL draft every year. Like that's their biggest selling point more than anything else that Alabama needs to do, uh, as opposed to maybe some other places that Nick Saban has called out before. You've got coaches who throw out stories, throw out numbers that are just not true. Uh, Administrators, I think, generally have a better sense of it. You know, it, it was just the other day, I forgot, some coach the, the, the D1 ticker newsletter, some coach had thrown out, said, hey, kids want these big amounts of money. In the same newsletter, you had the Tulane AD saying, don't believe anything you hear about the numbers. A lot of those things are just completely inflated. And everybody's because there isn't an open there isn't a transparent market. It's just what you hear, what, what could be. It's not a it's not an open thing. So I, I don't really care about the complaining from everybody, especially at the power five level. Any I, any notion that. NIL is taking money that's away that would be going to the athletic department instead is not really happening uh, at, at that kind of level. So it's just, it's kind of, it, it, it's a lot of people complaining for some legit, some not legit reasons. But when it comes to coaches in NIL, I'm generally not believing a thing they say anymore. Well, I'll follow that up with a question about a coach here locally, Kurt Signetti at JMU, what he did say about NIL that I found interesting here recently was more, not about like numbers or anything like that, but just sometimes he looks at the timing of when a guy decides to enter the portal and then judges based on that, like what they're actually looking for, whether it's an NIL deal, whether it's playing time, whether it's whatever. Do you see that? Is that a legitimate statement from a coach at this point? By that, do you mean like guys going in or announcing their places their new homes quickly or like somebody who's been hanging around um you know this whole winter and then a couple days before the portal closes up they decide to kind of just toss their name out there see what's available um they've seemingly been happy where they are but maybe they've heard heard these numbers tossed around and now they're looking for something and and at a place like jmu they're not looking for those guys look it's it's interesting because like tampering is technically not a thing you can do at the same time people everybody basically agrees hey if you're gonna go in you should know you know where you're gonna be pretty quickly so a lot of guys yes there is tampering the the ones that go in later are either someone convinced them to go in later or they don't know what's going to happen when they get in. And those are the kids who get left behind more often than not. And that's a very difficult situation for them. That's again, why I thought the way that Tyson Helton handled it at Western Kentucky was especially interesting, which was like, I'll call up the schools to see how much space they have. Like, I want to give you the realistic information because I don't want you to leave. If you shouldn't leave, there are schools that if a guy enters the portal they're frozen out of the program. Like you're not with us anymore. You're out. Like if you're in the portal, you're not with us. That is not how Western Kentucky handles it. And the way Tyson Helton said it was every day that they're still here is another day that I have a chance to retain them. So even guys in the portal uh, planning to leave practiced and played in Western Kentucky's bowl game where they blew out South Alabama. And I think that 
transparent process helps everybody involved. And, and, and that was one of my takeaways from, from that. So one of the things that you had said too, is that Western Kentucky, the guys, the, the staff there, they kind of asked around it. You, you, I, I think you mentioned that Tennessee kind of gave them some pointers. Is that right? The, 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 the guy runs a collective at Western Kentucky. He asked the Tennessee collective mm. people, like how to create a collective. Uh, that, right. That's and, what, that's what the Tennessee part was. Yeah. I'm kind of seeing that at Arkansas state where there's a little bit of, uh, we're not quite sure how it works. And there's a little bit of fumbling and stumbling. Why do you, th- why isn't there just a standard template for people to follow? Is, is why does it seem like it's so, so fractioned people doing it in different ways? Is it, is it state laws that maybe get in the way? Is it NCAA rules? Is it just uh, programs being secretive? Why is it there more of a uniform approach to this? Part of it is state laws. Every state is different in what is allowed. Part of it is some people really, really want to make sure they go by the books with NCAA rules and make sure they're not breaking anything. Others are less so concerned <laughs> about NCAA rules and will just kind of do whatever and dare something to happen. I think you can look at what the way John Ruiz, the Miami booster talks about the way he handles NIL on Twitter, just pretty openly. And he's like, all right, it's just being run differently. And so that's, that's what it is. I mean, the NCAA, it, it is weird because everybody kind of agrees. It'd be easier if this was all in house, if the schools basically did it themselves if maybe there was a clearinghouse or everybody could see what the market looks like, but that would, that would require the NCAA allowing schools to kind of pay players. And that's not where it's at. So we're still in that weird middle ground here where five years from now, it's not going to be how it is right now. And so people are still trying to figure it out, trying to figure out if the NCAA will ever penalize anybody for this stuff. And so different people have different approaches. So as we bring it back in into the Sun Belt, 2022, I think that uh, me personally, I feel like it was almost a little bit of a letdown of the season, despite seven teams in the postseason, week two with upset after upset after upset. On the outside looking in, how did you feel this year for football went for the Sun Belt Conference? It was completely flipped from what I expected. I didn't expect Appalachian State to be down like that. I didn't expect Detroit to be so up like that. I didn't expect Louisiana to be so down. I didn't expect James Madison to be so up. You know, it was like everything that I thought going in completely uh, flipped differently. And, you know, ultimately, you know, the league had a top 25 team in Troy, which is a great spot for the league. But I think ultimately you want to be in contention for that new year six spot at the end of the year. We thought this could be the year for the Sunbelt, especially after, you know, those big wins early in the season, the non-conference wins. Uh, and it just, it didn't, it didn't transpire, you know, app state beats Texas A&M, but they don't even go to a bowl game and Texas A&M is terrible. So uh, <laughs> I still think it, it was a year that still showed the depth of the conference for Southern Miss to make a bowl game for South Alabama and Troy to rise up. Uh, for Georgia Southern to make a bowl game bouncing back, Marshall winning nine, James Madison winning eight. I mean, right there, three of your four additions reached a bowl game. So I, I think it's still a step forward for the league. It just 
the big names we expected to be the big names didn't happen. And when that happens in a group of five league, you're kind of playing catch up uh, because no one expected Troy and South Alabama to carry the conference. And so it takes the rest of the country a period of time to kind of accept that as opposed to an Appalachian state who we're all used to. And, and maybe that's why I felt like the year was was kind of off, was that we didn't have the quote-unquote name brand teams that we're used to seeing atop the standings, atop the standings. You know, I think we on this show, as close as we follow uh, the Sunbelt Conference, we knew that it was going to be a championship team from the west side that was one of the Alabama schools. And really that battle for the belt was going to be the difference with the east still kind of being the wide open race which I think even when we met up in New Orleans for Sunbelt Media Days, it was the complete opposite. We, we were like, okay, it's App State in the East. The West is wide open. And, and really, as you said, the whole script was flipped. Yeah, and, and the, the, the power has shifted very quickly in this conference. Um, I th- the East is obviously deeper, but suddenly Troy and South Alabama are the class of the conference with a, with a coach in his first year. And John Summerall, a coach in his second year, and Kane Womack. And I think, once again, those two will be among the best next year as, as well. And Southern Miss is on the rise. So, like, it's a lot more balanced than we thought. I mean, the Sun Belt is sticking with divisions. And they're the only conference that has said they're going to do that. Every other conference in the country is, is, is probably getting rid of divisions at some point. And so it's like, well, why would the Sun Belt do that? The East is so much better than the West. Well, maybe that's not the case after all. I agree with you on that. Chris, I, I have a broader question. It's, it's in the same way that it reflects upon the Sun Belt. Did you feel like there was maybe a little backlash, a rubber band effect towards the group of five in general? It just seemed like the group of five had such a hard time breaking into the top 25, breaking, definitely getting into the top 15. It seemed like the year before, there were all sorts of storylines involving uh, programs in the group of five uh making waves in the uh in, in in the polls and it just didn't seem to happen this year is this just a down year for the group of five or is this the sort of the powers that be trying to make an adjustment it was a down year because you know app state faltered early boise state started one and two or something like that um and in cincinnati lost in week one to arkansas so like a lot of the big names stumbled early. And it's what I said before, where the group of five always has to play catch up. Uh, (laughs) If it's not the same teams, if since Cincinnati, you know, they can have a big year, having a UCF can do it for a couple of years in a row. The teams that we expected to be good were not, it took a long time for people to believe in Tulane. It took a long time for people to believe in Troy in UTSA and, and a lot of these schools. I mean, up until, almost like the final regular season when Tulane played Cincinnati, I think in the final regular regular season uh, game, I wasn't sure if I believed in Tulane either, you know? And then <laughs> two games later, in, in two games later, they beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. So like it takes time when it's unexpected teams and, and, and not teams that had done it the year prior. And that's what happened here. It was a bit of a down year, especially to start, but by the end of the year, I think teams figured themselves out. It was just kind of too late for a lot of people to notice. Yeah, and it didn't help for the Sun Belt Tibbs, right? When Marshall sort of starts tanking after beating Notre Dame, and then Appalachian State starts tanking after beating uh, uh, Texas A&M, and then 
just not quite getting that group. But yeah, I, I don't think, I think Houston was regarded as this top tier team early on and they just you know, didn't, didn't pass muster either. I think that really hurt as well. Chris, is there anything coming up in the, in the off season that you're really putting your uh, uh, focus on? Um, just general, you know, the way I approach the off seasons is like try to get into something new. I'm going to maybe try to like get a better understanding of X's and O's or stuff like that. I'm going to try to try to talk to meet with more people in person and and stuff like that. But like one of, one of my next stories is going to be like, all right, what is like the future of the mountain West? You know, they got a new commissioner Mm -hmm. now second commissioner in the history of the conference. They may lose San Diego state to the PAC 12. Like just where do things stand there? So like, that's, that's one of my things I'll have coming up soon. See, I figured that you would spend your entire summertime just following professional wrestling. I know that you love <laughs> wrestling a lot. And I figured maybe you would take a deep dive into, into getting into wrestling. You know, I typically, I mean, WrestleMania is the beginning of April, it's final, <laughs> final four weekend. And I usually end up taking kind of the two weeks prior to that. At least I did last year, just writing wrestling stuff. And I realized I missed like a good chunk of spring practice when I did that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I got to figure out, uh, how to, how to balance that this spring. So as you talk about the future of the mountain West, you know, there's the potential of it expanding to the G six with the a sun and whatever the other conference is looking at moving up to FBS. Do you think that has any kind of impact on the G5 as a whole, like kind of diluting the talent, spreading out the message a little too thin and and impacting the Sunbelt at all? No, because I don't think it's going to happen. In talking with people at the NCAA convention, talking with people involved with the Wacky Sun, I was like, okay, what exactly are you guys trying to do here and, and why? And primarily they want to create an FCS football conference because they don't have enough members individually. They've combined for the last couple of years as a football thing. And they got a waiver to have an automatic qualifier for the playoffs. They basically want to formalize that, make a football only conference. So they'll have an automatic bid to the FCS playoffs every year. And that makes complete sense that that's fine. Totally get that. makes sense. The idea of moving up to FBS, nobody knows how it's supposed to happen. Even the people involved. I asked Oliver Luck this. I was like, how do you do this? And he's like, well, there's nothing that says you can, but there's nothing that says you can't. So, <laughs> so you basically got to figure, so we basically got to figure that out. Um, the people in FCS that I talked to don't buy it. Nobody in the group of five is open to it at all and, and possibly sharing any college football playoff money uh, with them for that. So, I don't know. And I can tell you there are several schools in that in that group that are absolutely not ready for FBS at all. Oliver Luck is going to spend the next six months visiting all 10 schools, kind of doing an audit to see where things are at um, and then go from there. And they'll probably determine that some of them are not ready to move to FBS. And like I asked people at North Dakota State, I was like, hey, if this if this can happen, are you interested? And And, and they were like, no, because if we could do that, we would just move up with the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Like, you know, one of the really strong FCS conferences. If a conference can just move up, then that's how it would happen. So, no, nobody really believes this can happen. I am going to continue to talk with more people on it and write something on it. But my my basic view of it is it's going to be an FCS conference, and that makes sense. 
certain people are trying to push the FBS thing to happen, and it seems extremely unlikely. We talked about kind of the status this year of Sunbelt Conference. Success means there's going to be turnover. We'll have two new coaches coming into the Sunbelt Conference with Tim Beck at Coastal Carolina and the other one being G.J. Kinney coming to Texas State. What are your thoughts on those hires and kind of where they uh, – what do they do for those programs? Kinney's interesting at Texas State um, because, you know, they, they, they talked to Kinney and they talked to um, – Eric Morris, the guy who built Incarnate Word before Kenny took it over. And ultimately, what would Kenny, the young guy who, who took um, Incarnate Word to the FCS uh, semifinals? And I'll say that he, he is doing something that was desperately needed at that school, and that was getting back to Texas high school football. The last couple <laughs> of years with uh, Jake Spavadol going all the non-transfers just wrecked the perception of that program among high school coaches. And so Kenny has spent a lot of time uh, working to rebuild that. And I think that is working. They've added, they brought over a lot of the incarnate word players to Texas state. So we'll see how that plays out, but definite positive momentum there. Tim Beckett coastal. I I don't know. I mean, there's hasn't been much, on his resume recently, that's really jumped out as, as amazing. He's kind of been a journeyman assistant coach at a lot of schools, at a lot of big name schools where he did like, okay, like not great, but like, okay. So the coastal people really, really liked him. He's got Grayson McCall back. So we'll see. We we've seen boring hires work out before, you know, look what Jonathan Smith has done at Oregon state. I don't think anybody really saw that coming, you know, so quickly guy who's not a big name, but just guy who's been kind of solid. So I, I'm not, I, I always hate saying hires are absolutely not going to work or anything like that. Cause we never know all the time we get these coaching grades wrong. So like, we'll see, we'll, we'll see about coastal. Do you think Jamie Chadwell is still pissing till even in uh Liberty? Well, he, he um, cut his hair. And uh, I'm sure everybody around that uh, coaching staff now will be a bit more buttoned up than they were before. Um, so I don't, I don't know the color of, of, of the, the piss at that point, but uh, like <laughs> the dude, like quad, the dude, like tripled or quadrupled his salary by coming from coastal to Liberty, even if it's group of five to group of five, even if it's Sunbelt to conference USA, clearly he was not getting the power five interest that he thought he should, that I think he should. And so he's going to do Liberty. He's going to make a lot of money. He's going to be more buttoned up and maybe that'll be enough to impress uh, power five schools. God works mysterious ways that way. <laughs> Especially Liberty. So uh, does anybody have any more questions for Chris Vanini? Yeah. Last let week, me ask you oh, sorry, going about, you didn't write this, but I saw you tweet it the other day about um, story from the athletic about, Networks trying to find the balance between their streaming, their linear deals, what goes on where. I just want to get your opinion on that from a group of five standpoint more than anything. You know, it was such a huge deal for all these teams that joined the Sun Belt in the past year to have everything on ESPN Plus. But also they like linear TV. Just where do you see things going for a group of five and what does it all mean for a group of five as they try to figure out this balance? 
I think it was a key signal from what Conference USA did with their media deal, which was we're get we're, we're going to be with CBS Sports Network and ESPN. We're getting rid of the some of the stadium stuff, the BN Sports, the Facebook, all that stuff. Like ESPN, we want to be on ESPN, and we're willing to do midweek games in October to get on ESPN television. I'm somebody who still has cable. Um, and for a while that was enough to get every game that is no longer the case. Now you have to pay for things like ESPN plus and, and whatnot. And ultimately I think the group of five schools for the most part feel like college sports fans know ESPN plus is a place to go to get everything. I don't know about the PAC 12 and Amazon because there's no other college football. They're over on Amazon, having it under the ESPN umbrella, Makes it easier to find, makes it easier to just know there's one place to go to find the games. And that is such a big issue for a group of five fans is where is the game? What do I watch the game on? Well, now you've got uh, the American is ESPN only. The Sun Belt is ESPN only. The Mac is ESPN with some of it kind of sold off to, to CBS. And now Conference USA is CBS and back with ESPN. The Mountain West is the only one that's not. The Mountain West is with Fox and with CBS, and they've leaned heavily on linear television and not streaming um, because they felt that that is still the, the the way to go. Their deal's up in like three years, so they'll kind of have to figure out what to do after that. But exposure, I, I think it's ultimately about exposure and just can you watch the games? The money is not going to be so incredible at the group of five level that you got to do one over the other. You just want people to see your games. And uh, that still seems to be the the key going forward. It's not a Big Ten situation where you're willing to leave ESPN to go to NBC and CBS and Fox or whatever. But even the reason they did that, there's more exposure for the Big Ten. You're on network television, every major window on college football Saturdays in the future. So um, the biggest thing is still just getting your games in front of people. Chris Vanini, thank you for coming onto the show. You're lead writer at the Athletic. How can we get a hold of you? What can we get? Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, just at Chris Vanini on Twitter uh, is the best place to find everything on uh, on there. At Chris Vanini is a great Twitter follow, uh, especially if you want to know a little bit about the Group of Five, about college football, or about pro wrestling, which is where I get all my pro wrestling information from. Thanks, Chris, for being on the show and we hope to have you again real soon yeah thanks for having me guys well that was chris vanini and as always you know we we peppered him with some different directions right some different topics and he was on top of them all so it's always good to have chris and his bearded visage on the show to give us some insight into the groove of five and how things are going uh you know we mentioned or i mentioned Arkansas State's NIL efforts, the NIL, NIL collective that they've put together. And uh, they're, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of the same way as Western Kentucky's. It's, it was started by two guys, uh, well-to-do guys, well-connected guys in Jonesboro. They brought in a couple other guys. Interestingly enough, also brought in uh, Demario Davis. to uh, he's, he's a board member, too. So... They're a little bit behind the eight ball because they're a little bit behind on this. I don't know where JMU and the Warhawks are on this, but I do know Arkansas State's a little bit behind and playing some catch up. Uh, where's where are the Warhawks on this, uh, Dusty? 
no official collective, no official NIL. Uh, a couple of guys do have individual agreements. I know like Boogie Knight was selling some t-shirts with uh, yep. Nighttime and things like that. But uh, overall, nothing really official with ULM. With the new athletic director coming in, John Hartwell, though, you know, he knows that it's, it's part of the, the landscape of sports and, and something that he has committed to trying to get that together and, and get it ready to go. Would not be surprised if that was his first order of business. Shane, how are the Dukes doing it? I think, you know, they're a little behind, too, probably. Um, you, you see um, you see some individual things. Uh, you know, after the season, there were multiple football players who did, you know, a meet and greet at a car dealership type of thing. Um, you see some of that. But as far as, like, getting a collective or anything going on, um, I think there's some work going on behind the scenes, maybe with some uh, semi-retired former athletic department employees trying to get something going, but nothing necessarily that's uh, that's locked down at this point. But I think it's something they definitely are are looking for because, yeah, you can't fall behind with that. So, you know, um, Arkansas State, you know, it's where the Red Wolves and Red Wolves run in packs, right? So our NIL collective is called Impact. <laughs> Speaking of NIL deals, Jeremy, we have long discussed it. Yeah. We sent out tweets about it. Oh, wait. We okay, have yeah. okay. our first mm. Fun Belt podcast NIL deal with a student Is it Grayson McCall? It's Grayson McCall, isn't it? No, he did not return phone calls. Okay. All right. I would have liked Grayson McCall, but whoever it is, it's going to be the best. He's going to, he or she will be an outstanding ambassador for Fundbelt Podcast. Are we, are we announcing today? Or are we announcing next week? Next week. Next week. next week. Next week is the big announcement. I'm looking forward to it. It's not Grayson McCall, though, right? You're, you're saying it's not him. That is correct. Okay. Is it, is it like, uh, is it Grayson McCall? Uh, still no. Okay. That's all right. But I think we've come to our, the portion of the show where we do, and I, I, I've gotten a little bit better at this, Tibbs. You invented this. It's plugs, promos, and parting shots. Did, did I get the order of that correct? Yeah, for once. I don't want you to have notes. It's it's come to my head. And Shane, I'm going to make you go first for the plug promo or parting shot. Um, yeah, I'll plug is always, you know, dnronline.com slash sport slash Sunbelt Extra. You want to read about all the kind of stuff we talk about on here. Read what Noah and I write on a daily basis. Um, parting shot. I've got my one eye on my phone watching AFC championship game as I, my, my chiefs <laughs> see what they can do, see if they can avoid losing the Cincinnati yet again. But, you know, kind of interesting as we talked to uh, Chris about the, the landscape with the streaming versus linear and all that stuff. Like does anything sum up today's media more than sitting in my basement, recording a podcast where I got one eye on a game on my phone and <laughs> I don't know. That's, that sounds about right. 
I, I think we're over. Are we overstimulated in a way, Shane, that that you and I can be putting out together a, a, a piece of media while absorbing other media at the same time? Is it too much? It might be. <laughs> but be sure to click and link and subscribe to uh, the Fun Belt podcast anyway. Absolutely. If you have to pick one thing, that, that's what you got to listen to. <laughs> All right, Tibbs, can you top that? Uh, Warhawk Report, always the latest okay. on ULM information. My parting shot drove to Monroe for the press conference, as we've said. Dude, rain driving in the rain sucks, <laughs> and people in Texas do not know how to drive in the rain, which surprises me. But then again, they've been invaded by Californians that don't know how to drive in the rain. But that's a whole other conversation. Uh, is that is that a parting shot? You took yes. a, like a, a parting shot at California drivers that are now in Texas. Yes. Okay, I, I, I can see that. All right, that's good. Thanks. Like, that was a great. There was a plug, a promo, and a parting shot in that. I like that. Uh, for me, as for me, you know, you can always read my stuff on howraiser.com. It's coming to that time of year where you know you, you sort of have to scrounge for 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 content. But I'm sure I'll find something to amuse you. I, I want to say, guys, my parting shot is that I, I hey, do you guys pay attention to Oscars, the, the Academy Awards? Not in the least bit. Not Did really. We Did we Not win? Really? <laughs> yeah, I think we're up for one. <laughs> no, I don't I don't really either. I don't watch the sh- the award show. I will pay attention to see what movies have been nominated. And a lot of times it's movies I haven't watched. And as usual, the list of movies came out and I had maybe watched two of them. So my wife and I would decide to watch two of the nominated movies. And I was going to let you know if they were any good. One of them was Banshees of uh, In Sharon, which is this uh, really sort of bitter. I, I, it's, it sort of starts off as a comedy but then it gets real dark and real sad. You should check it out. It stars uh, 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 Brendan Gleeson and uh, and uh, and uh, a couple other guys. You'll you'll know a bunch of Irishness goes on. It's probably the most Irish movie you'll ever see. I give it five fingers. It's really good. Check it out. And then the second movie we saw was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Shane, have you seen this movie? This seems like a movie that'd be up your alley. I haven't. I haven't seen very many movies recently at all. But <laughs> this movie—it's—it stars Michelle Yao, and, and she's a uh, you know sort of this average every woman in tax trouble, and then it just becomes like this madcap, uh, just uh, almost unexplainable, unimaginable series of events. <laughs> You can't put your finger on. You don't know what's going on. It's about two hours of going, what the hell is this? I haven't been this befuddled since I watched The Green Knight a couple years ago. This movie is off the rails. I I think it's good, but you guys got (laughs) to see it for yourselves. You guys go see it. I think it's earned the most Oscar nominations this year. I don't know if it deserves them, but you should check it out. And that's my parting shot, guys. We've got another great show. You know, it, it, it wasn't like the most in-depth show, but we got Chris Vanini in. We got to talk a little bit about Sunbelt basketball. 
We talked a lot about NIL, which I'm still a little confused on, but I'm actually getting my uh, my handle on it. And then we had some great parting shots. Guys, could we ask for a better show? Yes, we could. <laughs> yeah, you know, it could be less of a sausage fest. We could have more ladies on the show with a better perspective. We could have some more star power, perhaps. Maybe we could discuss more than just sports. You know, we're we're more well-rounded than that. We can discuss, discuss philosophy, politics. We could discuss art and poetry. What do you say, guys? No, I'm good with just sticking to the fun belt. Yeah. I couldn't say much about poetry. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.